One of life's greatest questions is, what happens to us after we die? Is death the end or a new beginning? Welcome to the Round Trip Death Podcast. In this show, we listen to first-hand accounts of people who have gone beyond the veil and return to talk about it. Anyway, we are so happy to have uh, with us today Crystal Merslock. I hope I pronounced that properly, Crystal. Yes, you did. How are you doing today? I'm doing good, thank you. And you live in one of the most beautiful places in the continental U.S. you want to tell us where that is? So I live in Star Valley, Wyoming, and um, it is pretty close to the Idaho border on the west side of the state. And when I go to Jackson Hall, you're right on the way. Yes. Okay. Tell us a little bit about you. So uh, I am a clinical director of a mental health agency here. I've been working, uh, living and working here for eight years, eight and a half years. Um, Just living my life as a mom and um, I don't know, a friend probably just, I don't know. I try to go see my family. I'm a big family person. So I have to always go do that there in Idaho and Pocatello, but, um, so a couple hours away roughly, right? Yeah. Well, I heard your story first at the IONS conference in Salt Lake city. And, um, you were famous when you were younger. I'm not saying you're not anymore. No, 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 no. That's okay. (laughs) That's okay. You were very famous, um, back then. And, and why don't you tell us a little bit about your story leading up to your NDE? What, what happened? What were you doing that particular day? So I was, I went to a swimming, uh, or sorry, a birthday party that day. Um, and all of this is are things that are told to me because I don't remember any part of this, but I went to a birthday party. Um, my parents dropped me off. Um, we didn't know that I was going swimming and so borrowed a swimsuit and all that. And off we went to the, the local swimming pool. And were you a good swimmer? I, <laughs> no. <laughs> <laughs> no, I had just learned how to swim. So in, in my elementary school, they took us as, as a class to get swimming lessons. And I just learned. How old did you say you were again? Seven. Seven. Okay. So let's, I'm going to, I'm going to jump ahead. We've teased that a little bit. Let's jump ahead to the famous part. How did you become famous after this happened? How did I become famous? I never thought I was famous. So, and, but then again, I was so young. I don't know what was happening. My parents kind of took over, but um, the famous part, what do you mean the famous part? Well, I believe you were on TV and, Mm -hmm. and some things like that. There was quite a bit of news around what happened with your situation. There, there was. So um, locally, I, I kind of did some meetings and, and I was um, honored by the Lions Club when I was probably eight or nine. But then after that, uh, when I was a teenager, I went on to the Phil Donahue show. And then uh, I think near-death experiences were just starting really to kind of take off in popularity. Um, people wondering what they were. So then I was on Sally Jesse Raphael and Oprah and unsolved mysteries 
It doesn't get any bigger than Oprah. It doesn't get any bigger than Oprah. You might as well stop there. I was on 60 Minutes Australia. So you were not just huge here. You were famous in Australia too. Okay. And I didn't ever understand why. I I actually had to ask someone and I said, why are you so interested in my story? Why is everyone interested? And uh, I didn't know that I was the youngest near-death experience and the most, I don't know, thorough is the word near-death experience that uh, was out there or that, that people knew of. How did it get out there? Was that Dr. Morse that kind of put it out there? Yeah. So I think it all came out with Raymond Moody's first book. Um, I think it was Life After Life, something like that. And um, he's, of course, very, uh, very close to Dr. Morse. And uh, Dr. Morse kind of led me into that. And actually, Raymond, I was in Raymond Moody's book. <laughs> I didn't know. But um, uh, I, my name is Katie in that book to protect my innocence, I guess, okay. protect me from publicity or whatever. That's nice of them to leave it up to you <laughs> to eventually want to use your real name or not. Yes, yes. <laughs> so... Okay. Well, and Dr. Morse, I've talked to him. We're going to have him on this show um, here in a couple of weeks also. So, and I think people will find him very interesting because he's a medical professional who has studied this topic and I'll save the rest of that for later. All right. Go back to when you were seven years old, you're at the birthday party, you head to the pool. What happened? Okay. So I was waiting down the side of the pool, you know, just, um, you know, moving with my hands and I wanted to get out and, um, I got out, was walking down to the deep end. Um, as I got down to the deep end, I was pushed in. I think there was a group of boys. They were just playing, pushing each other. I don't think anybody just spitefully pushed me in, but I got pushed into the pool. The other interesting fact is the pool was, um, overpopulated, overrun. There were too many people, um, then what, um, the fire code would allow, I guess would, we would call it now. That makes it more difficult too, for a lifeguard. Was there a lifeguard there? There were two lifeguards. Okay. But um, it makes it more difficult to keep track of everybody, I would think. Yeah. Yeah. So as soon as I was pushed in, um, I was scared. I, <laughs> I lost all thought of even trying to swim except to try to get up into the water and breathe. And all of a sudden I was in a state of blackness and I heard seven sounds that scared me. And still to this day, I don't remember exactly what those are or compare them to something else. Um, And then I found myself sitting in a, in a tunnel and this tunnel was very bright. Um, it was a colorful tunnel, meaning uh, there were some large bricks on the wall, and it's like they were shining light um, through the back of the, the bricks with fluorescent colors coming through. Just very vibrant, very bright. And at the end, I saw, you know, the light, and I thought, I don't know what that is. 
I need to get to this light. And so I tried to get up on my, on my feet and, and start walking. And it, the ground was very unstable to me. So I got down on my hands and my knees and I started crawling toward the light. I could feel so much love radiating from this light that there was no other, it's, it was drawing me to it is kind of what I felt. Um, as I crawled a little way, I saw the figure of a woman coming from the light and coming to me. And I saw that, that she was a woman, dark brown hair and wearing all white. And when she got to me, she said, Crystal, my name is Elizabeth. I am your guardian angel and I'm here to help you. And from that point, she took my hand and I stood up and we walked to the light together. After that point, the ground was stable. You know, I, I wasn't afraid to fall any longer. And we walked in through the light into what I believe is heaven. Okay. And take your time. We want lots of detail. You want lots of detail. Um, so from that point, I just kind of looked around. Well, I did. I looked around and could not, in one point, I could not believe what I was seeing. The other point, I felt totally at home with where I was and knew where I was and what I was doing. Um, and what I saw was beautiful green like a beautiful green meadow um, or more of now. That's how I described it when I was seven, but I would more describe it as more of a rainforest type of place with these green, big, luscious plants that were over, you know, they could be overflowing. There was a waterfall. As I turned left and I always, uh, always see that when I describe it, but I turned left and there was a, um, some water running through like a small river and there was a bridge that went across that and on the other side there was a tree and what was interesting about this tree to me is it had white fruit that came from it and it was just very beautiful very big very vibrant as well I've never heard of a tree with white fruit yeah that's fascinating okay what else did you see? Um, what else did I see? I saw, I was greeted by people I had known in the past. Um, relatives, my, uh, a grandpa was there. Um, an aunt that had died just previous to this. Um, some other relatives that I'd never met before. Uh, like my great grandma, Dora. And my grandpa had a friend with him. He said that his name was George. Um, I have no idea who, who he was, but he was very nice. And they just welcomed me and, and said they were so glad that I was there. Um, I can't remember everything or uh, the content of what we said, but it, it seemed to be that we were talking for a few minutes. And I don't remember the sequence of events necessarily but I do remember I had a chance 
to look down on my body. And when I say look, I just kind of um, turned my head and seemed like I could see myself, my physical form that that is. Um, and I was lying on an operating table. There were a lot of doctors that were around me at that time uh, wearing white coats. Um, it was like I was looking down from them, but I was in heaven looking at them, not like hovering above anything like that. And they were putting different, um, they were putting something up my nose and trying to put different um, things um, in my wrist to help with whatever. And I didn't like it. So I looked away. And when I looked away outside, I, uh, the, the operating room that is, I saw my parents and they were so worried about me. I didn't spend a lot of time really looking at them, but I just remember thinking, don't worry about me. I'm in a good place. I'm safe. There's no reason for you to worry. Do you know, while you're thinking about that, do you, did you find out, was Elizabeth a relative? I never did find out who Elizabeth was. There are some Elizabeths that are in my genealogy. Um, but she also said that she, and I, I don't think it's one of them because she also told me that she was going to be born, that she had not been born yet. So she wouldn't really be in your genealogy at this point. No, no, but, but it's always fun to come back and look um, and see what Elizabeths were there. But no, there there wasn't. And I don't really think, I, I don't know if I've met her on this earth or not. That's interesting. And I think there is something to learn from that about, about the fact that people pre-birth and people post-death may be in the same place. True. At least your experience was. In my experience, it was. Yeah. And Elizabeth was with me through this whole time. So she didn't just appear and disappear or that kind of thing. She was with me. So, um, yeah, definitely. And I love to hear your feedback and your thoughts about all of this, too. It, it just helps me further process. Yeah. Well, I don't want to try to interpret it until we, uh, well, I really don't want to try to interpret it, but I do want to hear, <laughs> but I do want to hear what else happened. What, can you remember what happened next? Yes. So after I saw my parents, um, I remember looking a, a different way and I could see like my baby sister and she was just playing with some toys at home. About then she would have probably been six, seven months old, just remembering how much I loved her. And I think that's about all I really saw when I looked down on earth is just my body, my parents and my sister, which was interesting because they're all very different locations, you know? Sure. And that's okay. Anything else that you saw there in that heavenly place where you were? Uh, yes. So I had uh, I had the chance to meet two girls, and I saw them as my playmates in heaven. Um, their names were Heather and Melissa, and 
what was interesting about them is they also said that they were going to be born soon. I don't remember. I didn't think anything about it. It was just something that was normal. And um, I don't remember talking about too much, just playing. What was interesting about that is I saw myself and them as, as girls about my age, you know, seven, eight years old, same height. But the rest of the time when I was there, I could see eye to eye with everybody that was there, which was a big deal to me when I was seven, because I wanted to be grown up. I wanted to be as big as everyone else. And I was as big as everyone else. And even the kids that I was playing with. So just interesting to me. I I felt like I was a child when I was playing with them. From there, I, um, I had a chance to um, go and I met Christ and he asked me whether I wanted to stay in heaven or whether I wanted to uh, go back and live on earth. And um, I met Heavenly Father who was with him, but he wasn't there the whole time. He was, uh, the Heavenly Father was there when, um, when they first came to I don't, I see it as them coming to get me and they kind of took me to another side of the same area that we were when and we, in my mind, we sat on a rock in this meadow and we're talking. And at first, after um, they asked me if I wanted to stay or go, I thought, no, I want to stay. The one thing I haven't talked about um, that you hear a lot is just this immense love that you feel when from the light that I saw at first and everything that's in heaven, it is, feels like the perfect space. Um, I thought I'd, I want to stay here. Why would I want to leave? And then I thought about my mom. I thought about how much I'd miss her. And I said, no, I want to go home. And Jesus said to me, okay, okay. Remember, you uh, you will have to live righteously, obey rules, something like that in order to make it back here. Um, basically, live a good life. And I answered as if I knew what he was saying and said, yes, yes, uh, um, of course. And then he told me, if I remember a few things. Um, he told me to obey my parents that they were good parents, um, to live, I guess, my religion, my, my spirituality, um, follow the examples that are, that are given to me and, you know, don't forget him. Don't forget his sacrifice. I have some questions if you don't mind. No, go ahead. That's really, really an amazing experience just amazing how did you know who they were speaking of christ and heavenly father did they introduce themselves or did you just know no i just knew so they were everybody in heaven wears white um they were brighter than everybody else so and their presence 
was was unmistakable and i just knew who they were and they communicated with you one on one yes like as if you were the only person there that mattered right then yes do you remember anything else about them i remember their appearance and what was that like so they were both uh wearing white just like everyone else um Jesus had brown hair, uh, no facial hair. It was shorter than is, is usually displayed in pictures. Um, very kind eyes, just very kind, peaceful eyes. I, I remember that. Um, very soft touch. Heavenly Father had white hair and a white beard and... I don't know how else to explain him. <laughs> you don't happen to remember eye color, do you? That you saw in them? Mm-mm. If I told you, it would it would just be my best guess. And I don't, yeah, so no. Okay. Wow, this is amazing. Okay, keep going. Okay. After I was asked and um, decided that I wanted to go back, I uh, I don't really remember saying goodbye to them necessarily. The next thing I remember is being back with my family, the same individuals who welcomed me into heaven. And Elizabeth tapped me on the shoulder and said, Crystal, it's time to go. So um, I said, okay. And I started to walk away. And then I got confused and looked back and said, I don't know how to go. And um, that's the last I remember. Um, before I ended up, uh, well, I was back in my body and trying to feed, I, I don't know if it was feed myself or remember something and I was doing it all wrong <laughs> in the <laughs> hospital. You had to learn some of that over again, I imagine. Yeah. Okay, let's get back to the physical part of what happened here. How were you rescued and how long were you in the hospital? So um, when I was... When I fell into the pool, um, because the pool was um, overcrowded that day, I was floating on top of the water. And two scouts, are, are what we, we know as scouts that was determined later, who were racing across the pool, bumped into my body floating on the water. And they were the ones who, them and one other um, woman, grabbed me out of the pool and started to resuscitate me. There was also a doctor who was in uh, uh, the dressing room who was dressing and getting ready to go swimming. Um, and his name is Dr. Bo. And when he came out, he started working on me and working to resuscitate me. It was him who... Um, who really did a lot of the work. It was also him who uh, they said, oh no, we're not gonna come get this girl. We're not gonna rescue her. She's, she's dead. And he said, no, we're gonna rescue her. And he continued to work on me. Um, the other thing is when the ambulance got there, uh, the swimming pool, that, which was inside of a building, had um, 
panicked and they had locked all the doors so the paramedics couldn't even get in when they arrived. Oh, whoops. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so um, eventually that happened. They took me to the hospital, but all in all, they, um, I don't know, it's determined or they averaged that I was not breathing for 20 minutes. That's a long time. That is a long time. Have that you had any long-term long effects from that? Um, I think I have, I think that's where a little bit of my shortness of breath comes from. Uh, because there's not really asthma or things that run in my family. And it's it's gotten better, a little better with age, although I do still have some asthma at times. But no brain damage or anything like that? No, no. That's so interesting. And then how long were you in the hospital? So I was in the hospital in Pocatello uh, for, I don't know how long I was there, to tell you the truth. I know that I was in the hospital for three to four days before I woke up. Okay. So when I was, when they took me to the hospital, I was 96, 97% apparatus and only functioning three to 4% on my own. And when they called primary children's, which is where they transferred me to, they asked the doctors, why are they transferring a dead girl to them? Why are you giving us a dead girl? And I don't know what happened, but the transfer was made and I was uh, moved to primary children's. I was life blinded over there. And um, I don't know. I don't know what what happened here. Um, But at one point, my dad said he was looking through um, the glass, watching the doctors working on me. And he saw my toe wiggle. And he burst through the door and I lifted my arms up to him and said, dad. Wow. So, and then he said, the doctors just cheered. So the doctors cheered. So, and then from there. Um, As a dad of daughters, I can say that brings a little tear to my eye. Just thinking about that, picturing that scene. Wow. Yeah. You know, and it still gets me, especially now that I'm a parent too. I can, I can feel that. I would probably do the same thing if I saw uh, my child be terrible. So um, I, they told my parents that I would pretty much be a vegetable because I had had almost no brain activity for, for a few days. And I was, everything was miraculous from that point. So um the first day, I really wasn't able to do anything very much. They were still feeding me through a tube. Then the next day, I was trying to feed myself and not being able to <laughs> find my mouth, that kind of thing. And then I was eating on my own just fine. Um, they, I couldn't walk, you know, one day. And the next day, I or two, I would be running down the hall. So um, they called in probably... 14 to 15 specialists to come and see me and only one to two actually came. Why did, why is that? They just didn't believe it. No, I didn't need it. Oh, I, I didn't need it. I, I recovered really fast from, from the injuries. 
Okay, I got it. I thought you meant specialist to come and sort of witness this miraculous recovery that you had made, but no. you didn't need the special help at all. No, no, That's I didn't. Amazing. And within a week, I was back. I, as you probably heard Dr. Moore say, within a week, I was back to back home and in front of him saying, you know, you don't remember me, Crystal. I remember you. And I told my mom, he's like, I said, no, I remember him. And I scowled at him because he was one of the doctors that was putting things up my nose and trying to work on me and, and that kind of thing. I told him things I can't remember now. Uh, he probably remembers and has documented more things that I told him, but yeah. So you told him things that you should not have known and kind of blew his mind. Correct. Oh, that's fun. That'll be fun to talk to him. Um, I, I want to sort of compare your experience to some others. I, I try okay. not to do this, but yours is a very special experience. It's, um, it has become sort of commonplace or cliche for people to think of a near-death experience as going through a tunnel to the light, being greeted by relatives, and with the many, many people that I've interviewed on this show, that's actually not very typical. Oh, okay. No, it's it's not. Um, every, everything is different. There are tunnels. Some have lights. Some don't. Some have colors. Some don't. I haven't heard any described like glowing bricks mm -hmm. as sort of how you did. But um, no, your experience is really... I hate to use the cliche word special, but it, it's a really fascinating experience. And I also hate to say better than some people have, but it's an amazing experience. And and that's really cool that you have that. How do you think that has made your life different all these years compared to people that haven't had that sort of experience? I have always, I've never doubted that there was um, a God I've never doubted that there was heaven. I never doubted that there was Christ um, and that he died for me. I um, was able, he showed me the prints in his hands. I just, I haven't, I haven't ever doubted that. Um, I look at my kids and say, okay, well, this they need. Uh, the, I think that they're just going to know everything that I know. And have and have felt that I've always known, but that's not true. I need to do things a lot differently than I did when I was growing up. I think I've um, I've always been led by what felt right to me, and I've felt that that's um, just tuning into that that love that I felt and just that peace. And if something has given me peace or leads me in one direction versus another, I have tended to, to go with that. And uh, it hasn't been uh, wrong, you know, one way or the other. Tell us what you do for a living now and if this has affected that at all. So I am a mental health clinician and a substance abuse counselor. And I think it does. I think it does. When I first went into college, um, I didn't really have any desire to get a degree. I just was going there because that was the next step. 
my friends were going to college. Um, I was still young, didn't know <laughs> really what I wanted. And after a semester or two, I fell into social work um, and just absolutely connected with the classes, connected with everything that was in there, um, ways to help families, ways to help groups of people. Um, I, uh, through this, I, I never in my life thought I would be led to be an addiction specialist and work with trauma. And those are, those are my specialties now. So, and I really think that it has led me to, to do some of that. I, um, that is what I feel. It's hard to say because other people have that same mission, that kind of thing, but it has always been the right thing for me. So what else did you learn from this whole experience that you want to share with other people? That's a good question. This experience, um, when I first started telling it and that kind of thing, I, I didn't know. I, I've always just told it just because not necessarily that I was supposed to, you know, when you're 10 and 11, <laughs> you just kind of, oh, are you okay with telling your experience? Do you want to, you've done this fireside, do you want to do, and it's, and I've always said yes. So I've always been drawn to this. I want people to understand and to know that, um, that there is life after death that there is a God in heaven that loves them and wants the best for them. And that Christ not only loves me, but loves everybody else just, just the same. And one thing um, that I didn't say, uh, because I, I just kind of involved in the story, is that Christ held me on his lap. And when he did that, I could feel tremendous love like I haven't ever felt before. Probably or since either. Probably or since. Could you describe that love? I've asked other people this. It's, I know it's very difficult. Uh, <laughs> I have some weird things coming to mind. But I, I uh, something that I, I, I don't know, I've never had this thought before. But being in like an embryo or a sack or something like that and just filled with everything that you need and everything, not necessarily want, but everything that you need is given to you because this person, this being wants everything the best for you. It, it tingles everywhere in your body. You feel swelling, you know, in your heart, no chaos in your mind. You're just complete where you are. That's great. No one's ever asked me that before, I don't think. Well, I think that's a beautiful place for us to finish our conversation. Thank you so much, Crystal. You're welcome. If you have had a round-trip death experience, we would love to hear about it. Send an email to eric at roundtripdeath.com. And lastly, if you have found this program uplifting, if it's given you just a little more hope in the future, share it with a friend, hit that follow button, and take a few seconds to write us a review. 
Until next time, I wish you everything good that you're looking for in this life and the next. Thank you.